Hello and welcome to the Chaos to Clarity podcast, where we hear from incredibly successful and inspirational technology executives and thought leaders about escaping the chaos of building a tech startup and the hard-won lessons of getting to scale. I'm Eric Weiss, a 20-year software industry veteran, an executive coach, and the CEO of the Chaos to Clarity Accelerator. In this show, you will hear about the journey that founders must take to build a successful technology company, but I'll also share my own experience and methods as a leader, a founder, and an executive coach. Let's jump right into it. All right, I am here with Doug Campbell-John, founder and CEO of Airspeed. Great to have you on the show today. Great to be here. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, so Airspeed is a company that... Um, that helps us make our, our employees happier and celebrate our employees. So obviously a really noble cause, uh, which I'm really happy to, to dig in with you today. Um, but first, I'd love to, to hear about your background. You know, you're a veteran in the tech industry. You've been an executive at companies like LinkedIn and Salesforce and has founded multiple companies and seen exits and all that. So you've obviously uh, been, been through this rodeo several times. So just tell me about sort of what got you on this journey in technology and entrepreneurship and ultimately uh, to where you are today? Uh, yeah, so my journey in Silicon Valley uh, started off at Apple. Uh, so I went to Carnegie Mellon for engineering, ended up not doing any coding um, or engineering work because uh, I discovered something called product management at Apple <laughs> and kind of fell in love with that. Uh, and it was probably the closest I could get to being a CEO without being a CEO at 21. You know, it was kind of like all the responsibility, all the, all the responsibility, none of the authority. Uh, so yeah. I was in charge of a, uh, a product called QuickTime at Apple, which I'm pretty proud of, which is kind of the underlying operating system for all the audio and video stuff that we use today. Uh, and it's kind of been startups ever since. So, you know, I got the bug at Apple and really learned a lot about how to design beautiful products and really listen to the customer and principles that have served me well my entire career. And then I wanted to go build a culture. And so I figured the best way to go do that was to go be in a startup. And so I joined a couple that didn't do so well, uh, but learned a lot in that process as well. And then went off and started my own. Um, I've done this, Airspeed is actually my fourth company. So the first one was called um, My Play. It was an idea of a digital music locker way before iTunes and, and uh, iPods. So right idea, wrong time, but still having a successful exit to Bertelsmann. Uh, then I joined a startup in the security space and started my second company, MI5 Networks, which was like as spyware was really starting to proliferate. And we were trying to figure out how to do that for corporate networks at the edge of the network with a with an appliance. Um, and the last one was uh, Flip-Top, which was machine learning for sales and marketing. Uh, and we were acquired by LinkedIn in 2015. So I spent about four years there. Uh, running the sales navigator team and took that from about a $250 million business to uh, almost a billion dollar business. And it's over a billion now. Um, and then got pulled away to Salesforce uh, to go be the general manager of sales club. Wow. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Yeah. So, so you're at these really big companies and then, you know, you went back to the startup again. <laughs> so how, how did that transition happen? Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm fundamentally a startup guy. Um, so uh, LinkedIn was actually kind of surprising because um, they, um, uh, they originally didn't have a position for me and said, would you mind if we just vested you out fully? And I was like, sounds great. Uh, and then they, um, uh, the CEO, Jeff Weiner at the time, came back a couple months later and said, actually, we think you're the right guy to do this. And they made it interesting to stick around. 
and only asked me, like, you just need to commit to 18 months. I'm like, okay, I can do anything for 18 months. And 18 months in, had kind of rebuilt the team, rebuilt the roadmap. And I'm like, I'm, I'm actually having kind of fun here. So uh, really enjoyed that environment. And I think LinkedIn is one of the, you know, very well-run larger companies, even within Microsoft. Um, so I think that's that's pretty pretty amazing um, how they've been able to maintain that kind of product and startup culture. Um, and uh, then joined uh, Salesforce in February of 2020. So you can you can you know imagine how that played out. So six weeks later, the world looked like this. And um, on the one hand, I love it. I never want to go back to an office five days a week ever again. You know, I love working from anywhere in in, in most of the world. Um, but I miss people. Right. And so, you know, we did all the same shit that everybody did at the time. It was like, oh, we're going to do Zoom happy hours and Zoom yoga and, you know, set up a bunch of new Slack channels and have more all hands meetings. Where we're recognizing people. And in the process of doing that, it was really a understanding that uh, this stuff is scattered all over the place. There's no system of record for culture. There's no operating system for culture. It's all in these little like ephemeral, these folders and channels that just disappear, right? So you introduce yourself in a Slack channel. You say, hi, Eric, I'm Doug. I just joined the company. And that just washes downstream, kind of never to be found again. Mm -hmm. So that was the light bulb moment for me for Airspeed and say, hey, I think there's actually, you know, more than just a, a good, a good noble cause. It's you know, like there's, I think, a really interesting platform to be built and an interesting business to be built around helping employees feel more connected and celebrated uh, with the hypothesis that when employees are feeling connected, they're going to be a lot more productive and a lot more, um, you know, likely to stay at the company for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's phenomenal. So when I, as an executive coach, you know, when, when we went remote, um, I did a lot of research and, and, uh, was really trying to understand how the shift to remote was, uh, was affecting teams. And what I found was basically what you're saying that, um, it really disintegrated the bond between teams and really increased a lot of attrition. So especially at the time when salaries were coming at an all time high um, and now attrition was increasing. And so basically people became more transactional and opportunistic yeah. with their with their employers. Uh, and that's obviously, you know, not great for business, especially for the smaller startups that are, you know, that are they're sort of, well, cash strapped and, and really just can't afford to pay those those fang prices. Yeah. Um, and so we did a lot of work around, yeah, like how do we bring people together and create bonds and, and the, the, the zoom happy hour is not the answer, you know, no. asking somebody to sit on another zoom call with a drink in their hand <laughs> at 5 PM is not the answer to it's one calls. of the most awkward things in the world. And fortunately it died pretty quickly because people realize that, but, uh, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we actually did a survey that's on our uh, big survey. We, we partnered with this company, Workplace Intelligence, and interviewed like 1,600 people, 800 execs, and 800 individual contributors in the kind of, you know, the the mm -hmm. kind of depths of COVID and uh, and really found like that was your 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 uh, word transactional was spot on. This feeling mm -hmm. of like my life is now back to back Zoom meetings. And so if mm -hmm. I don't feel connected to the people I'm working with and I don't feel connected to the mission of the company, I can easily just zoom for somebody else. Right. And so that, right. that kind of loyalty just kind of went out the window. And, you know, one of the things that was fascinating to me at LinkedIn, going from a 30 person company roughly to a 10,000 plus employee company uh, was watching how deliberate Jeff Weiner and that executive team was in cascading communications. I mean, it was a, it was a, a system, a factory of like, 
figuring out the message of the exec team, spreading it to the exec team, spreading it to the top 250 leaders, spreading it down to, you know, through managers, doing all hands and kind of repeating that until everybody was getting the same message. And it really uh, was fascinating for me to watch. And what I realized during COVID is executives now have to be as deliberate about cascading culture. You just can't say, mm-hmm. well, we're going to just bump into each other in the cafeteria and it's going to work. Right, right, right. Yeah. So another another study that I found was that um, was basically they were trying to look at how much time we invested in culture and in bonding in the workplace through lunches, coffee breaks, happy hours, bumping into people in the hallway. And it was about two and a half hours a day on Mm -hmm. average is what they came up with, you know, which obviously seems reasonable. And so then we went to Zoom and that just evaporated. Yeah. Nobody was spending any time. So we were already paying that money and investing that time in creating those bonds. And so now we have to do something to to replace it. And, you know, most of us haven't. So yeah. so, so what do you think? What are the, the sort of core pillars or, or things that companies can and should do um, to try to to create that culture in a remote world? Yeah. And, and I think that one of the mistakes that people people assume this is a, only a remote work problem. And the mm-hmm. real, reality is this is this is a work problem, period. And it's always existed. It's just that COVID suddenly gave us all this tremendous dose of empathy because we realized, oh, this is what the India office has been dealing with, or this is what the remote sales team has been working with. Or mm-hmm. even, you know, my group was all on one floor and we suddenly split to two floors in the same building. Like, you know, and a lot of times you might as well just as just as well be remote then. Um, so I think that that's that's one of the things we realized quickly was we started this because of the pandemic and because we were a remote company. Uh, but we realized this applies to everyone. And I, I, I don't, by the way, like I like people. It's you know, this is not about like I never want to see people again. So we actually <laughs> as a company still get together quarterly. We put everybody on a plane, get, get together somewhere fun and mostly don't have meetings. Mostly it's just like hanging out and doing activities and volunteering and stuff like that. Because um, I think that's important as well. But I do think you have to be very deliberate about these moments of a, an employee's journey. Um, and the way I'd almost think about it is imagine you're you're doing the going away card for an employee, like or writing the yearbook of their time at your company. What would be those significant moto- moments and photos that you can kind of string together for them? And that's how we kind of lined up our apps. So we have an app for, called Intros, for example. So you drop it. These are all Slack apps. And they're all free right now. Um, so you drop it into a Slack channel and you say, hey, listen, everybody who joins our company answers these five questions about themselves. You know, what's the first rock concert you went to? What's the first concert you went to? What's, you know, something we'd be surprised to know about you? You know, what's some one thing on your LinkedIn profile? However you want to kind of put together. But you're now not just dropping that into a Slack channel. You're putting it into a database. So that can go. You can find people with similar interests later on, et cetera. Um, how do you make sure you're never missing a birthday or work anniversary? Right now, you've got a bunch of admins who are chasing people around being like, hey, would you sign this digital card and doing all this? So we we kind of put that on autopilot so you can just kind of install celebrations and we do all the reminders and all the all the all the card delivery stuff uh, at once. Um, obviously, recognition is huge, right? Recognition mm-hmm. is how do you how to give recognition? And there's lots of apps that do like, hey, let me go give you direct recognition. Uh, one of the things that I love about our app Shoutouts is you can actually nominate somebody for recognition. So if you're like, yeah, I could recognize this person directly, but it'd actually be a lot more effective coming from the CEO or coming from the, this VP. Mm-hmm. You can basically say this person did this, it had this impact, you know, kind of reflected these company values. 
let me go forward that to a Slack message. And that person can go, looks great. Let me send as if it's me or, you know, obviously edit in their tone. Uh, and then two more that we have right now, and then one more that's, that's coming shortly, but will be out before this podcast. Um, so we have icebreakers. I used to do this thing at LinkedIn and Salesforce where we'd go around the room saying, what's a shout out? What's a personal win? And uh, the personal win, and, you know, you'd get these great stories about, like, I bought a house. I just got engaged. I, you know, like, you know, remodeled my, you know, office, whatever. Um, but one is it was just words. Um, so, you, like, mm-hmm. pictures are really powerful in that. And two is it would take a hell of a long time. Like if we have 15 people in a room, that's like half an hour of your meeting. It's just going around the circle. So we now do this thing in our company meeting. We use our own app, Icebreakers. And so the day before a message goes out and says, hey, what's a personal win for you? People are posting photos. I take five minutes, 10 minutes tops of, of, of our company meeting and just say like, hey, oh, my God, you know, you were at the soccer game and you were like. So it's just a fun way for us to kind of get that personal connection. Uh, And then finally, and I'll take a break. Uh, finally we have, uh, uh, maps, which is just really fun because in this remote work, work world, you don't really know where people are often working from and we're not tracking you. We're just saying, what's your home office location. And the cool thing I've, and and by the way, most of these were just apps I wanted for myself. I just wanted to build, um, (laughs) how, how most companies start. Um, so this was a, Hey, I'm like, I'm making a trip to New York. Who's in the New York area. I can zoom in on the map and I can say, Oh, let me go check these people. Let me send them a Slack message saying, hey, you know, I'm around Tuesday or Thursday. Anybody want to go grab dinner? Um, mm-hmm. So these are all just different moments of culture. Um, and although these are separate apps, they're all coming back into the same back end database. Uh, so you can start to do some interesting things with it down the line. Wow. Wow. So what 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 um, what have been some of maybe the highlights or, or fun success stories that you've seen either in your team or, or with some of your customers? Yeah. So we just launched. So we're, you know, we're recording this in May of, of 23. Um, we just launched in the Slack app store, the apps between four to eight weeks ago. Um, oh, wow. So it's still early days, but we have already a thousand, over a thousand customers, companies using the apps. We have over, you know, over 40,000, you know, users on the app. So, you know, early signs are good and good start. really yeah. high weekly engagement over 50%. Um, so, uh, couple things that have been surprising. Um, I think the intros in the Maps app have been mm-hmm. especially appealing to communities, Slack communities. Mm-hmm. So if you get, we've got like women in tech communities oh, or investor communities and like hundreds yeah. of people, you know, in some cases um, who are just like, yeah, this is a great way for us to get to know each other or plan meetups when we're going to be in each other's cities. Um, mm-hmm. so that was not, not something we kind of anticipated. I think we've also another uh, early insight was what we call the rule of 50. It seems like 50 people is a tipping point for when the engagement gets much higher. So, um, you know, not to say, I mean, we're obviously below 50 right now um, and lots of our customers are, but uh, that seems to be a point where like you're really locked in. It's kind of like that Facebook adage, you know, you get 10 friends in seven days or whatever it is and you're a customer for life. I think once we have like 50 people who are on, you know, a product or a, or products of ours, that's kind of mm-hmm. when they're locked in and we're seeing engagement really, really kick, uh, kick in higher on average. Um, I think that. Uh, <clears throat> so, yeah, th- those those are kind of the early days of things. I think that we found um, uh, right now in larger organizations, uh, we needed to start doing HR integration. So that's coming this summer. So we're going to integrate with Bamboo and and Workday and, you know, Rippling and all the kind of and Gusto and all the leading HR and payroll platforms so that you can just automate all this stuff. You know, people can just automate where people are and, you know, birthdays and celebration stuff. 
Um, and uh, I'd say that's, those are some of the early insights right now. But every everything we're doing as a company, we're, we're kind of in what we call this early access period. So the apps are all going to be free through the end of the year. And uh, all we're all we're focused on is just like, how do we kind of optimize engagement and remove any friction? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, definitely. So a couple of things that you said that I really enjoy, um, you know, one is around the icebreakers. Um, that is something where, like I said, you know, the Zoom happy hour doesn't work. People have tried different ways of doing it. And one of the things that I've found with with some of my clients that has worked really well is just five minutes either, you know, at, at least in the team meetings, right? Maybe not every single meeting, but having five minutes in the team meetings to just have a little bit of fun. And so I actually have like this list of funny icebreaker questions that yeah. I'll share out and stuff. And so it just might be something like, yeah, your favorite rock concert or your favorite trip or something a little bit off color, depending on the culture of the team. Um, but, you know, just something where people share and actually just get to know a little bit more about each other. There's one example that I love where um, there was this development team and one of the engineers was this big, burly dude, like big guy. He was probably like 6'5", like long, gray, like ZZ Top beard, <laughs> baritone voice, right? Nice guy, but like, you know, a little intimidating, right? And in one of these icebreakers, he shared that he liked to breed butterflies in his backyard. And so we were all just imagining, you know, him just sort of prancing around and twist, twirling and <laughs> with all the butterflies swirling around him. And all of a sudden we realized, holy crap, this guy is just a big teddy bear. Yeah. And then from that point on, you know, the, the culture or at least the, the, the way that we all engaged in that team was, was drastically changed from a simple icebreaker question. So, uh, so I love those kinds of things to get people to not just break the ice, but really break down the walls between each other. Because even in teams that have been together for a long time, especially in kind of a enterprise setting, we never really get to know each other. Yeah. Um, and so I love it. Yeah, that's actually, I mean, it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, like we we kind of got the band back together when we put Airspeed together. So we got like pull, pulled some of the top people from Flip-Top, my last company. And some of these people I've been working with for like 10 plus years, I've probably learned more about them in the last, you know, three or four months than I did in the previous 10 in terms of their, you know, hobbies and personal life and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's yeah. fun. It's fun to kind of get that information my one of our advisors connected with my marketing director and they're both like dumpling connoisseurs and so they're geeking out on great dumpling restaurants and stuff like that oh, nice. and that's the kind of stuff as a team i mean it sounds like you know i know there's people who are just all about productivity 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 and uh might view this as kind of like you know a little foo-foo but what i've found in i think you've you've found as well is you know when you've got smart people who are great at what they do all aligned on a mission, like we know we're mm -hmm. heading in this direction and they built that trust layer. Um, mm -hmm. Then they're crazy productive, you know, yeah. and that trust layer comes about like getting to know them as a person, not just, you know, somebody in a zoom Hollywood squares kind of screen. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. So I, you know, also too, I was a, an agile coach for many years and, and my philosophy is all around continuous improvement. Right. And that continuous improvement really stems from, our ability to give each other feedback and to speak openly about the problems that we're facing, either within ourselves, with our company, with each other. Um, and what I find then is that the number one thing that drives or impacts continuous improvement is psychological safety. Yeah. So if a team feels that they can safely open up and be vulnerable or share feedback without it being seen as being, you know, antagonistic, um, those are the teams that 
fix their issues and that improve and that, you know, ultimately get the productivity that we're all striving for. Yeah. And so this is, this is how you do it. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people focus more on the hours you're in the office or number of meetings Mm -hmm. and these metrics that are actually the wrong way to look at it. Right. Absolutely. Oh yeah. No, I, the longer you make somebody sit in, the longer you make an unmotivated person sit in the office, the more creative they will get in terms of wasting time. <laughs> yes. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, everyone. Eric here. So every startup founder on earth is searching for the elusive product market fit. It's the thing that unlocks growth and scale and the thing that separates the successes from the failures. But if I asked you, what it meant. Could you define it? Could you point at it and measure it? Could you break product market fit down into its essential components and have a systematic way to improve them, to unlock product market fit and get to scale? Probably not. So that's why I created a new tool called the Product Market Fit Scorecard, the ultimate guide to unlocking scale. Uh, It's a free and simple assessment that you can use with your team to break down product market fit into its 10 key factors, identify where your weak points are, and give you clear and concise recommendations to improve. So just go to pmfscorecard.com and download it now. So, so, so tell me about, you know, you're, you've obviously been a, a leader and a founder for, for many, many years. Um, do you have sort of a leadership philosophy or any pillars or principles that you focus on? Yeah, I've, I've kind of developed a number of them over time. I mean, I think that, that um, in general, my view of leadership is um, when someone wants to describe it to me as the CEO is the MVP, but it doesn't stand for most valuable player. It stands mm. for money, vision, and people. So I, I kind of always mm. come back to that little phrase and go, that's my job, right? And the number one thing is people. And we'll talk more. I'll double click on that because I've got a lot of thoughts around that kind of hiring and firing and retention. Um, uh, the money is, you know, obviously don't don't ever rate, run out of money and like, you know, build, <laughs> build, build a great, build a great uh, revenue stream. Um, and the vision is a lot of what I spend my time on. Like, and I think that my general philosophy is, be kind of firm on the end state, but be flexible on the path. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Mm -hmm. we, from day one said, we're, we're on a mission to help employees feel more connected and celebrated. And I love that phrase because I'm like, I can go do that for a hundred years, right? I'm like, we're never going to like run out of things to do if that's our mission. Uh, But the path is, is changed. Like we, we originally made a mistake and thought, oh, well, this is really kind of like an internal Instagram app and it's all about photos and so mm-hmm. we spent probably way too much time building this beautiful mobile app and rolled it out uh, in the, at the end of last year. And uh, the crickets chirp, right? It was like, mm-hmm. yeah, this is, mm-hmm. this is great, except I live on my laptop and I live in Slack, right? Mm-hmm. And so come back to me when you can like help me there. And, we, and after we heard that enough and kind of got smacked in the forehead enough, we're like, oh, okay, <laughs> maybe we should listen to that. And so that's why we, we've gone down this path. And as I said, you know, the early signs are really good. Um, but I think that's that's kind of a key thing from the, the vision side. And and as I said earlier, you've got to keep repeating that, keep cascading that. And if that message ever changes, you know, make sure that all the employees in the company can kind of repeat that. Um, the people side is really 
Um, you know, we can we can spend more than a half an hour we have left talking about that. But there's kind of sure. three uh, three principles I've come up with over time. Like uh, on hiring, I have what I call the awesome test. And I've tried everything. When we when you hire people, I've said like, okay, thumbs up or thumbs down, scale of one to five, one to ten, whatever. And all of those things tended to get me B and C players because people people are fundamentally, you know, don't like to criticize, you know, other people. They're like, well, they seemed nice, or you know, they, you know, I enjoyed their conversation. You know, the voice goes <laughs> up an octave or two. Um, and what we do now is we so our employ our hiring process is about like you know fast uh, fast process with good feedback. So we generally do a phone screen, and then we try to do all our interviews on one day, and then mm-hmm. we say that evening like you've either passed or not passed. So we get back to the person the same day. And then the final step is everybody has to give if you're if you're customer facing, um, you have to give a presentation and it can be on whatever you want. But oftentimes, you know, if you're sales, marketing or customer success, it's your your current or your previous company. Um, and that's really just saying, like, how could how do you do in communication and how do you do if you th- we throw you curveball questions? And we've actually weeded out some amazing people who have gone on to really successful careers in that process, but just mm-hmm. wasn't a fit for us. Because after that meeting, we go offline and we say, okay, you know, like I would look you in the eye in a Zoom call and say, was that person amazing? And if you can't go like, hell yes, you know, like we got to go get that person in, we just move on, right? And so like, it's kind of like, you know, choose my language. It's like, you know, fuck yes or hell no. You know, it's kind of like the way we think about that for employees. And it means it's a much longer process, but we generally get it right more than we would otherwise. Now, you don't always get it right. So the second test is um, uh, I stole from Netflix, which is called the keeper test, where you just mm-hmm. think about the people on your team. And if anybody if anybody on that team were coming to you tomorrow and said, hey, I'm leaving for an equivalent position, would you fight to keep them? And if the answer is no, you should actually start managing them out now, right? Mm-hmm. You've got the wrong fit. Mm-hmm. You're just satisficing, not optimizing. And if the answer is yes, oh, shit, that would be terrible. You think about, is there anything you would do in that case? Would you give them more responsibility, more salary, more stock, more bigger title? And just do it now, right? Just kind of mm-hmm. make that happen. Don't don't let it ever get to that place. Um, and then the final one is just like the fun test. And so what I like to do um, is just randomly act, ask people when we're face-to-face or on a Zoom call, are you having fun? I found people <laughs> are incredibly bad at lying about that, right? They're just like, (laughs) so if they pause and be like, you know, if there's a hesitation or their voice goes up again, there's a problem. Let me go dig into that. So that's kind of been the three um, things that I've always done in building teams. And my proudest accomplishment as an entrepreneur is, yes, I've made money for investors and made money for employees. But really, um, if you ask anybody who's been in my companies, they've said that's one of the best places I've ever worked. Yeah, because they're all keepers. They're all having fun. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and by the way, like, you know, like no one bats a thousand, right? Like if you're batting, right. if you're batting, you know, 750, you're doing amazing, right? And many people mm-hmm. bat 500. But I think, you know, I, I know like we have a phenomenal uh, director of marketing, Lauren, and I frustrated the hell out of her because she was trying to hire our, our content marketing manager. And we kept saying no, right? And I said, your bar isn't high enough. It's not the awesome test. And these were all, mm-hmm. again, really amazing candidates. And finally, the woman we got, Jihan, is just you know fantastic. And we're just glad we waited. So that's that's yeah. that's the process. But it's it's painful, especially when there's a lot of work to get done, which there always is in startup. Yeah, yeah. 
No, I love that. So the the keeper test really resonates with me. Um, so again, as a as a continuous improvement evangelist, um, I bring those principles to every aspect of the business. And so, especially with my you know my CEO clients, um, I do just something where every in the same spirit. Um, basically, every time we do a performance review, we go through every person in the company and we ask, "Would you hire this person again today? Would you make the same choice?" And if the answer is no, it's not just manage this person out. There's a step in between, which is what went wrong. Right. Well, there's that retrospective right. that needs to happen here. Was this a, a failure in hiring? Was this a failure in onboarding? Or is there a systemic failure in in the systems or the culture, right? Depending on yeah. how long that person has, has been with the company. Um, and and what typically comes out is is if it was a mishire, then okay. There's a problem in our hiring process. It's not their fault. Right. It was something that they should not have made it through all of those filters. Yeah. But a lot of times we hire a great player and we fail to onboard them successfully. Yeah. Kind of like you said, right? They come in, hi, my name's Doug. All right, off you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go figure it out, Lord of the Flies style. Yeah. Um, and so I'm really, and, and this is the area that I really focus on a lot with my clients because it's where we have the most control. Mm -hmm. um, and that is just creating a really robust onboarding um, system and, and process. Yeah. Um, and then the last thing is, you know, something has gone wrong in our team culture, right? Mm -hmm. Something is, um, ha you know, the, the well has been poisoned somehow. And that's the real, the real deep one. And usually you see that when you actually have multiple people on the same team or in the same department um, that, that again, you say, well, I wouldn't hire that person again today. Right. But to, to, to suffice it to say, the purpose of all of this is for us to realize that every person that we don't like or we don't think is a good fit we had some responsibility. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. But I think what's what, what I find in a lot of organizations is because, you know, the, the amazing players are easy. The really shitty players are easy. But right. people in between, it's really hard because you're like, well, they're mostly doing a good job. And, and like for a lot of people, it's hard to let that go. But you are poisoning your culture with every day you keep them on. Right. You're 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 basically lowering the standards and you're having people who are super productive and high performers go like, well, why should I work so hard? That person is, you know, kind of screwing up. So I think that's that's really important. And, um, you know, you mentioned kind of the the kind of having a, a good journey in the company. <clears throat> one of the one of the apps that will be out by the time this this airs um, that we're releasing in June is called Coffee Talk. And it's kind of like a competitor to a, a Slack app called Donut. Um, and it's all about, like, how do you find those buddies? How do you find those connections mm -hmm. inside the company? that you may not have normally, like, cause you're obviously going to build a relationship with your manager. You're going to build a relationship with the people that you work with on a daily, weekly basis. Um, but like, especially in large organizations like LinkedIn, you know, I was on a team of hundreds and hundreds of people. Um, and they're like, most of them I didn't know on, on any basis. So we would, you know, like an app like coffee talk would come in and we're actually rather than just randomly matching you to a person, we're using AI to say, just answer two questions. What kind of people do you want to meet? What do you want to talk about? Mm -hmm. And then using that signal, along with the people who have opted in to have these meetings, we're kind of doing a smart matching to kind of find you somebody like, and it might be that like you both love snowboarding. And so you can go talk about that and you've got nothing else in common. Or it might be that you said, I really want to meet people in customer success and go talk to them and do it that mm -hmm. way. Um, mm -hmm. So that one I'm really excited about as well uh, of kind of building some of those bonds inside the company. Yeah. I like that a lot, actually. Yeah, there's an app I think called it's a Donut. There's, Donut's the one that's out there right now. Yeah, 
Something kind of similar. And and I, I really enjoyed that when I would work, even again, as a coach, where I'd work in larger organizations or with larger clients, um, because yeah, we get these, you know, we get the silos, we get these big organizations that we can't really navigate. And again, like you want to make friends at your company yeah. and not just work friends, but like real friends, because this yeah. is where you're spending most of your life. Yeah. <laughs> so wouldn't it be great? If you could bond with people at your company and they don't have to be, you know, your direct coworkers. Yeah. And Donut's been a great app. It's been around for a few years, but um, it, it kind of is pretty random. So like when we've tried yeah. it in the past, oh, totally. it's, it'll just match you to anybody who's in the channel. And it might yeah. be somebody I've known for 10 years and meet with on a daily basis. And it's kind of like not worthwhile. Um, so we try to our, our approach was how do we how do we kind of gather a little bit more information and make it a little bit more deliberate? So we can mm -hmm. kind of make that. And then we actually take the information from that you've put into these other apps or in your profile or what you said you want to talk about. And we almost have like a conversation starter uh, Slack message that goes to you 10 minutes before the meeting. Like, hey, it might be nice to talk to Doug about this. Hey, it could be cool to talk to Eric about this um, and, you know, kind of get the ball rolling. Um, so that's kind of a, another fun way to go make that that happen. That's awesome. Yeah. So so I want to back up a little bit because um, I want to get back to your 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 three points around around hiring. Sure. Um, the awesome test. Yeah. So this is something where um, I, I, I feel like a lot of companies struggle in that, you know, if you set a really high bar. It means you got to get a really robust pipeline of candidates. Yeah. And I think we're all stuck in this mode of like, well, it's you know, we've got a batch of eight or a batch of 10 and we're just going to pick the best one, even though they're mm -hmm. not that great. And I say like, no, nah, it's not good enough, right? You, your bar should be, you wait until you you get the right one. So what are some of the, the things that, that you think companies can do um, either to get a better pipeline of people or again, just to be able to be, to afford to be more patient, I guess? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so we do a couple of things. We, uh, like right now we're, we're uh, kind of have the core team locked and loaded. Uh, we're not actively hiring but we keep all the job descriptions up on our job board and keep going through folks in greenhouse. So, cause it's, it's like ABH is our motto. Always be hiring, right. Always be recruiting. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. um, and so we are um, constantly looking at resumes and saying like, you look great. We don't have an open position right now, but let's, you know, even like, let's do a zoom call to get to know each other or if you're willing, or if you don't mind, would love to talk to you when we have a position open in the future. So we're always keeping that funnel going. That's mm -hmm. one. The other thing we've done um, on kind of semi-regular basis, we do at least once a quarter, sometimes more, um, is we do the kind of awesome test exercise. And so we, we um, kind of get everybody on a Zoom call. And sometimes, or sometimes we'll do this one-on-one -on -one with, with uh, my HR person when, when an employee joins. Um, and we just say, great, open up LinkedIn, filter by first degree connections, um, go page by page, and just anybody who's awesome, right? And we just put in a spreadsheet. So we're like, this person, Eric is awesome. He he's, Here's where he's at right now. Here's a link to his profile. Here's why. Because you don't have any of that context. I can know that you and I are connected, but nobody knows, like, how will I know you or vice versa? Um, and so it's all these things. And, and and we just say, don't have a filter. Like, if you're friends with Barack Obama, like, put, put Obama in there and say why he's awesome. Not that we're ever going to have a shot at hiring him, right? And so right. we built up this awesome list spreadsheet, which is kind of our... Um, you know, kind of value added recruiting pipeline. So when mm -hmm. I open up a position, I go to the marketing tab and go, who are all the folks that everybody's ever said is awesome for marketing? Um, mm -hmm. And that's where we're going to go start. Yeah. Oh, that's incredible. Um, yeah. And, and I think what you're talking about here too, is uh, something that I, I rail on a lot, which is 
recruiting is an offensive strategy, not a defensive one, which means you have to go out there and find the people. The days of I'm going to post a thing on a job board and, you know, cast a wide net and see who falls in the bucket. You're not going to get good people because the good people are out there doing awesome things at other companies. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I think that like, uh, you know, uh, my plan is to interview, I think Reed Hoffman did this at LinkedIn interview everyone up to the first 500 employees personally. And so Mm. stay really involved in that process and don't, don't delegate it. I think that just being able to probably like, I, it depends on your company size and your growth rate, but I would generally say, you know, between series A and series B, bring on a full-time recruiter in-house mm-hmm. and just have mm-hmm. that person like constantly sourcing, constantly thinking. And then we're in that, in that Kanban kind of, kind of continuous improvement. We're always saying like, we think we, we pay a lot of attention to like a greenhouse, you know, ratings uh, or, or uh, glass door ratings rather. Mm-hmm. And like, mm-hmm. so we're asking people like, how was your interview process? Right. Even if we didn't give you an offer, we want you to still say, shit, that was amazing. I wish I could work there. Right. And so we're yeah. constantly trying to figure out how do we just improve every piece of that, even if we're not in a big hiring spurt. Yeah. That's interesting. You mentioned that. So between series A and series B, you know, you're, you're in the kind of early stages of growth, but I think that's a time where people executives are still really focused on the product yep. and nailing and nailing down product market fit. And they're not quite ready to scale up yet, but once it's time to scale up, it's too late. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you, know, you, you just don't ever want a cold start on that. Right. Cause that's yeah. when you end up being like, okay, I'm just going to hand it to a recruiting firm. And and trust me, we, I've used recruiting firms There's great recruiting from firms out there. We've used, you know, like best recruiting has been a fantastic one for sales marketing and customer success, but we still post on our own website. We still post an angel list. We still post on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. We're still keeping all our pipeline going. So we're doing, you know, you have to think about it just like a sales funnel. You yeah. can't just say, yeah. I'm going to turn off all the marketing. And then when we're ready, we'll turn marketing on or we, I'm, I'm not going to have any sales. And then suddenly I need to go zero to 1 million revenue and we'll hire some salespeople. Right. You know, this stuff takes time. Right. And if you wait too long, now you're in that reactive mode, right. you're desperate and you're just hiring whoever you can yeah. at the time. And you're going to make some bad hires and you're going to get stuck in that vicious cycle because the bad hires are going to hire more bad people and so on and so forth. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. Um, so I want to talk, ask a little bit more about your, you know, your leadership philosophy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously we've been talking a lot about culture. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your ideas or, or philosophy around establishing and nurturing a great company culture? Yeah. Mine is, you know, it's, it's kind of a trust, but verify, you know, going back to mm-hmm. nuclear era state, yeah. um, you know, my <laughs> general sense is um, like when I hire people, uh, I mean, I, I'm really fortunate in this time is that like, I got to bring on some people that, you know, we've worked together for, as I said, for 10 plus years. So we're mm-hmm. like an old married couple where like we finish each other's sentences and, you know, it's just like the, that trust is so great. Um, so there's n- none of that process there, but somebody new, I'm generally, spending a bunch of time with them up front and they might, I might have them shadow me if they're, if they're doing something and then I shadow mm-hmm. them, but pretty quickly, like I want to go to a point within 30 or even 90 days at most. And I'll talk about that in a minute um, mm-hmm. where I just go, you got this, you're better at this than I am. I'm here to support you. Tell me if you need me to, you know, run interference for you or get you more resource. Like that's my job. My job is to help them be successful uh, one of the things we do, and I've done this in the last uh, two companies as well, is we we actually, uh, I always give the culture presentation on their first day. 
And mm-hmm. part of that is saying, um, by the way, we're going to put a meeting on your calendar 90 days out. Mm-hmm. And that is going to be meeting with your manager to see if it's working for both of you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I always feel a little bad doing it on their first day because I'm basically saying we could fire you in 90 days. But, <laughs> but, but I think it's really important to have a deadline. And I yeah. have never, ever had an employee where I didn't know within 90 days whether it was working or not. And, and vice mm-hmm. versa, probably. But oftentimes that drags on for six, nine, 12, beyond months. And when you're finally like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, it's a year and a half. I, we should let that person go. So we basically say it's either, you know, for both parties, it's a hell yes. Or in some cases, there might be a little bit of course correction. But that, I think it's really important to have have something, some timeline there and that first 90 days mapped out. So I'm, I'm a big believer in that. Um, I'm a big believer in kind of communication and everybody contributes to everything. So we do our company meeting every Thursday at 8 a.m. because we have folks all over the world and we use our own icebreaker product, as I mentioned, and kind of kick it off that way. And then everybody's kind of running their own, um, you know, talking about their own part of the business, but everybody is contributing to product. So we do a bug bash every single week, right? So everybody is hands-on. We're guiding that. You're like, you're going to test this. You're going to make it happen. We record every customer conversation we have that gets thrown into a Slack Mm -hmm. channel. So we're like listening to customers all the time. We are doing user testing where we're like, you know, okay, we're going to like one way mirror kind of virtual and see how you're using the product. So I'm a big believer, like, you know, just make all the information open. So like, here's the metrics. Here's, here's how we're doing and share bad news as well as good news. Like, and be really clear, Mm -hmm. like, Hey, this is the next milestone we need to hit. And if we don't do this, we're going to have trouble raising our next round. Or here's the kind of things that we need to do to the product. And here's how we prioritize that. Um, So a lot of it's just like really rapid turnaround and really open communication. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. So what you're, what you're talking about here, um, I'm, I'm glad, I mean, everything you're saying is like totally resonating with me, which is great. So there's lots of stuff to (laughs) go back and forth on. Um, but what I talk about, especially with my, um, I I run a startup accelerator, it's the Mm -hmm. chaos to clarity accelerator. And I work with kind of around the series, a C to series, a Mm -hmm. stage companies. And one of the big things I focus on is your values as the DNA of your company, but your processes and systems are the expression of that DNA, right? right? So what you're talking about here is your value is transparency, Mm -hmm. but the way that that plays out is you've got these systems and processes for communication and the way the, where we're posting the, the videos and da, 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 that's the expression or the behavior that 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 value is is expressed by um and so the 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 exercise or the workshop that i have them go through is you know just going through an exercise of articulating your values and then actually going through an exercise that is well what are the behaviors that embrace this value what are the behaviors that are that go against this value and then how can we bake that into our systems and processes yep. right so to say yeah we value transparency okay so everyone in the company should be able to think for themselves, well, how can I make transparency a part of the way that that we work and we do business? Um, and that becomes your sort of cult. It, to me, that's what a cultural operating system uh, yeah. looks like. Yeah, it's interesting. So like, uh, you know, my last company, you know, I've always believed like the, one of the biggest advantages startups have is speed. So we would always like mm-hmm. continuous development. We're just deploying whenever things are ready. And then we got to LinkedIn and, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, tens of thousands of customers or, you know, millions of people using the, the sales navigator product. 
Um, and I remember going to a conference pretty early on um, where a guy from SAP came to me and said, could you please just give me at least, you know, a week's notice before you re- release totally new user interface? Because I have hundreds <laughs> of reps that are using this. I need it like, and it dawned on me. I'm like, oh, you can't just do startup continuous deployment when you've got a uh-huh. large customer base. And even a small customer base, I don't think you should do it. So we, we've said, uh, this is, uh, Airspeed, I think, has the most efficient engineering process I've ever experienced. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a nice balance. So what we do is we do road mapping up to three months out, right? And again, the long-term vision is always there. But we're kind of giving a pretty good month-by-month breakout of like, here's what's coming in June, here's what's coming in July, here's what's coming in August. And then we are um, kind of stack ranking that within the month. And that's allowing marketing to say, okay, I know what I need to get done on the website. It's allowing customer success to tell customers, okay, I know that's a problem. That's getting fixed in two weeks, right? Um, and and again, if we have a bug or something like we can we can hot fix anything at any time. But there's this balance I find. So what we do is we do the Thursday meeting, we do a bug bash. We do a meeting that afternoon that says, okay, what kind of things do we need to fix for production? We roll out a production update on Friday. On Monday, we kind of like, you know, let people play around with it. On Monday, we're setting it on production. So we're releasing weekly and mm-hmm. we're then telling everybody like, here's the things that we fixed last week or, or improved last week. Here's the things we think are coming. So we give engineering some flexibility, but it's it's this like transparency and communication that allows everybody to stay in sync. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have fire drills or you have very few fire drills. Yeah. So that's really interesting. So I, I I get this excuse or I get this pushback a lot where, especially with the early stage startups, they don't want to, they don't want a roadmap. They don't want to commit to anything, you know, in the future. And I, I see this as a trade-off or, or let's just say it, it can cover up an issue, which is we're just disorganized. Yeah. We don't really know where we're going. We don't have a clear vision and we're just doing these knee-jerk reactions, um, you know, willy-nilly. And I, I've tried to to impress that, hey, well, you know, you should be organized and you should have a plan and that plan could change, but it doesn't mean that there isn't value in looking at least a few months out. So is there like a right time or a right stage uh, where you think a, even a three month roadmap makes sense or maybe doesn't make sense? Or do you think it's just, everyone should just have it and everyone's just making excuses? (laughs) Yeah, I think everyone should have it. I mean, I like, you know, when you're building your first product, you don't necessarily need a roadmap. You probably have something in your head. Um, but you know, we, we happen to spend a lot of time talking to customers before we ever wrote a line of code. So we had kind of had a sense of where we should prioritize stuff, uh, and kind of rough sequencing. It's not like we said, this is happening month one, two, three, but we're like, we're going to do this first and this and this. Um, and, and trust me, it's, it's, uh, uh, my product manager is, uh, uh, definitely has to learn a lot of flexibility working for me because, you know, I, I have no sacred cows. So like when we did the mobile app and we found it had no data, we like immediately like that's going on the shelf. You know, we're going to go move to Slack apps and he had to like rejigger everything. And there's times where I'm like, oh, you know what? We thought we were going to go do this, you know, deep, deep dive on an admin system. But in doing this web onboarding is more important. So we're we're, uh, uh, as I said, kind of like very flexible in how we move stuff around mm-hmm. and our mm-hmm. and our engineering process allows us to do that. Um, there's a great quote by a guy I worked with, uh, Tomer Cohen at LinkedIn, who's now chief product officer, um, that I see all the time, which is, um, I may be wrong, but I'm not confused. So, uh-huh. um, so I, I, what I tell the team constantly is like, I know my title is CEO. Don't assume that means that I know what I'm doing all the time. Right. I'm, I'm going to be wrong too. 
but I'm going to state things so, you know, firmly. And I have those three letters behind my title that you might think, oh, well, Doug must be right. I'm, yeah. I'm often right, but, but I'm, you're allowed to always say, I think otherwise here's data. Here's like, you know, let me sh show this. And so we're constantly revising that. And in fact, even the language we use internally is we don't call them, uh, you know, even releases per se, we call them experiments or hypotheses. We have a hypot, like we were like, okay, we want to go improve conversion from this step to this step. We have a hypotheses that, uh, that we can do that by doing this. And we think the outcome can be, you know, to go from X to Y in Z timeframe. Right. And then we build the experiment and run the experiment. And if we're wrong, we're like, okay, what did we get wrong? What did we miss? And just even that language and that philosophy allows you to yeah. do, uh, not feel like, oh, I'm doing a bunch of wasted work. Oh, that's incredible. Okay. So, you know, this is, <laughs> this is what I'm, I'm constantly impressing on my clients, especially in the early stage that product is, is a scientific method, right? Mm -hmm. That it's, it's this constant, uh, series of assumptions and hypotheses that we're validating, invalidating testing and so on. So I'm actually going to make every single one of the members of my accelerator watch this episode because awesome. this is this is great and i'm glad that they're not only going to hear it from me yeah. um and one of the things that you that you mentioned too i think that puts all of this together is um again around having being able to have a roadmap because you validated everything with your customers before you started building yeah. so you had that clarity and that certainty uh, and that's really the 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 foundation of my of my product philosophy and in, in the accelerator in general is do the customer engagement, do the market research, and you will have that clarity and certainty that makes everything else much more efficient, right? And much more uh, easy to develop. Yeah. And it's, it's not to say you're still not going to get it wrong, right? Mm -hmm. But like, I mean, product management is fundamentally a, a, like, how do you do pattern recognition with a sparse data set? And mm -hmm. so the more data you have, the better. But my feeling is like, a lot of that for me is gut, a lot of that, but I like to have the metrics of what's happening. I like to watch the user, you know, ex, you know, over their shoulder. There's a, like the more data, the better. But at the end of the day, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna only let the data or the customer interviews drive my decision because yeah. you know you've got to do the Wayne Gretzky kind of skate to where the hockey puck's going to be, not where it is right yeah. now. And oftentimes, customers will just tell you a whiter, brighter, faster version of what they're using today, or the mm -hmm. metrics will lead you down some path which is a local optimization. So you need to be able to also say like, hey, listen, I can I can open the aperture and get a broader perspective on this. Yeah, yeah, ah, that's phenomenal, amazing. Well, Doug, um, I think we're out of time here, but I, I think I could probably talk to you for many more hours. Uh, this has been amazing. I appreciate your your wisdom and your experience so much. Um, I obviously wish you the best of of luck and success with Airspeed. Um, any final words or, or last messages you want to share with uh, with our audience? No, I just say if anybody wants to try out the apps, uh, you can go to getairspeed.com. They're also in the Slack app store. Um, we will always have a free forever tier, probably up to 50 employees once we start charging next year. Um, and then we're, um, you know, any and all feedback welcome. Uh, we want to help companies build legendary teams and legendary cultures. Amazing. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Doug. Have a wonderful day. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for being here. If there's a challenge that you're dealing with in your tech startup that you'd like me to cover, or if you're an executive of a successful SaaS company and you'd like to be a guest on my show, or if you'd like to hear more about what I offer in the Chaos to Clarity Accelerator, 
or my executive coaching program, reach out and connect with me at eric at fullcycleproduct.com. Thank you, and I'll see you next week.